I firmly believe that some of the worst decisions ever made in the history of mankind have been made in youth ministry. Um, let me repeat that. Some of the worst decisions that have ever been made in the history of mankind have been made in the context of youth ministry. And I've made about half of them. Um, one of the worst ideas ever that you don't realize um, until years later when you just, you dread the idea, is the ever-classic lock-in. It seems on the surface so alluring. Um, let's get a bunch of um, puberty-driven students together uh, and let's, let's let them run rampant all over the church building and uh, we won't sleep at all. We'll um, have a steady diet of pizza and Mountain Dew and then uh, we'll pick up the pieces in the end. It seems so attractive. Um, the best part of the, of the church lock-in is when you get to go to sleep, right? And I just want to have a moment with you. If you've ever been to a lock-in, let's just actually flip it a second. How many of you have never been to a church lock-in ever in your life? Okay, there they are. Uh, so tomorrow night, <laughs> gather. I've done many lock-ins in my day. And it is a glorious drive home. <laughs> because you know what's coming up. You know that, that after the shower, which is absolutely quintessential, okay, because you're getting like all, like you got like pepperoni stuck to your arms, you know, <laughs> that you are going to, to lay down in that coveted bed after not sleeping all night. My... My daughter uh, just had a sleepover with a family in the church, not mentioning any names, the Stickters. <clears throat> and, uh, <laughs> and she comes home in the morning. God love her and them. Um, she's like, yeah, uh, it was really awesome. Uh, we stayed up till 4.30 in the morning. You know, my seven-year-old daughter. And there was one side of me that was really proud of her, you know. Um, and then there was the other side that was just waiting to see what would happen. And sure enough, for the next three weeks, for the next several days, she was like struggling to catch up. All of you have been incredibly tired, uh, like the most exhausted you've ever been. And then finally getting that, that rest that you needed, wouldn't you just agree with me? It was like just drinking gold. It felt so nice, so good, the the covers, you know, the, the way the box fan sits two feet from your head at night. Anyone else on the box fans? My wife, it gives her pneumonia when it happens, but I, I sleep like most often if I can with a box fan, like literally right here, you know. And I wake up and I just have like dog slobber all over me, you know, and it just, but it's amazing. I was doing some research um, and unfortunately, there's not any solid evidence outside of research done to rats. But I was doing some research on how long the human can exist without sleep. And uh, like I said, they haven't tested this on humans because uh, they don't want the eventual outcome to be death. But they did try it on rats, which apparently in science is a good you know, synonym to the human. I'm not sure like, how scientists come up with that. Let's not try it on the humans. Let's try it on the rats because they're pretty much the same kind of being. And um, 
Rats at about day 14 of no sleep just start dying, okay? So in all the scientific research that I found, everyone seemed to agree that that humans can go, let's say, 14 to 21 days, and then uh, they all start hallucinating. Uh, Some of you, your problem isn't not enough sleep. Some of you, your issue is you get a whole lot of rest. Uh, You would be the scientific study for how much sleep can you get and and not die. You know what I mean? Um, How many of you would consider yourself professional sleepers here? Do we have any? They're sleeping right now, so they're not raising their hands. I forgot. They're like, you know, you're like nudging your friend. Hey, he's talking about you, man. Um, Listen, um, we come to a commandment for me in our study of the Ten Commandments that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, Reason being, it is not only one of our greatest struggles, but it is often the most mistaught, misused commandment in church culture today. If I were to examine each of your lives and you were to examine mine and we were just to ask, how are you doing on the issue of rest in all of its facets and all of its forms as it pertains to your physicality and as it pertains to your spirituality, how are you doing with rest? I would imagine the report card might not be very good. We struggle with rest. We struggle resting in the Lord. We struggle resting in general Um, Most of us are very performance-driven, rates-based. And so tonight we get to wrestle with the concept of the Sabbath, with just saying the word instantly drums up all kind of baggage for most of you. Uh, It brings up legality issues, it brings up, uh, I can't remember the last time I even was taught anything on the Sabbath, and there's a variance in this room. Tonight, we are going to go to it. I'm telling you, my heart is full. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to journey through about 15 different passages, all kinds of fun, and build a biblical doctrine tonight on good biblical Sabbath. You guys ready to go? All right? Let's pray together, and uh, let's see what happens here tonight. Lord, like only you can, I pray that you'll stir our affections for you through a subject, God, that seems random and um, not applicable But God, I thank you for your text, I thank you for your word that cuts sharper than a two-edged sword, and I pray in my heart tonight, and in the hearts of my brothers and sisters, that you would rip us open, expose the core of us, not the surface behavior, the core of our hearts, stir repentance, and I pray, God, that we will bear fruit in keeping with repentance, in your holy and awesome and wonderful name, and all God's people said, amen. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to study uh, all of a few verses tonight. Last week, I got to listen on my plane ride home from the Acts 29 pastor retreat in Miami. We were suffering for the gospel in Miami. Uh, stayed at LeBron's house. That was nice. And um, we, uh, he told me what his decision is going to be, so I won't let the cat out of the bag. Um, Cleveland. And, um, <laughs> and Jared just did an awesome job uh, teaching on uh, misusing the name of the Lord. Um, Continue to be so blessed by that brother and his teaching. And uh, tonight we're going to start in Exodus chapter uh, 20, verse 8. So let's read this entire section and then we're going we're to go for it. Verse 8, here we go. Remember the Sabbath day, the fourth commandment, to keep it holy. Uh, for those of you guys that need a reminder on what the word holy means, it means uh, separated, segmented, uh, set apart. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it set apart. It should be different, in other words. Uh, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day, the scripture says, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. One of my favorite lines in all of scripture to reiterate, no work for anybody. Okay, you, your kids, your, you know, your livestock, nobody's working. How do livestock work in the first place? Not sure. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, <laughs> set it apart, consecrated it. I want to answer five questions tonight about what the Sabbath is. These questions will drive our conversation. Somehow, God adds them to the Ten Commandments for pertinent reasons. And if you've been journeying with us verse by verse through Exodus, you've seen that God has already instituted this. Remember when manna was pouring down from heaven, what did God say? What did he say? On the day before the Sabbath, I'm going to rain down how many? Come on. Double the portion. So you can gather double the portion of that nectar from heaven with honey on top. And on the seventh day, you rest. You gather and you rest. And you remember what happened for those that went out and and tried to gather on the seventh day. Remember what happened. So it's like this premise from the very beginning that if you go against this particular gift from the Lord, you are misunderstanding what God is intending in the Sabbath. In other words, from the very beginning, it is one of the greatest graces in the commandments. Six days you work, the seventh you don't. And to the Jews, this had to be like a huge celebration. Hold on, let let me get it straight, God. Just so I understand you clearly. You're saying six days we go at it, seventh day not. And God's like, yes, that is precisely the point. So let's take a journey to try to understand exactly what is meant here. First question about the Sabbath is what is it? Seems fair to start there, wouldn't you agree? Well, by definition, uh, the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat. Everyone say it with me. The Jews, even still to this day, sing a song on the Sabbath, and it goes something like this. Uh Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, Um, and and on and on. Um, A lot of repetition in the song. Thank you. Um, That was in the key of A minor. And um, the reason they sing this song is because it, it, it bears with it a certain symbol of celebration. The Hebrew word for uh, Sabbath is Shabbat, and it means to cease or to stop. No work. Pausing. Stopping in your tracks. The Greek word adds some more meat and potatoes to it. The Greek word is sabbaton. And sabbaton implies very specifically the day of rest. So by definition, this word enters into the biblical vocabulary implying exactly what God describes. On this day, you are going to cease and celebrate. That's what you're going to do. Well, what would they be celebrating? On one day every week, 
in a very rhythmic pattern, you are going to cease and celebrate. You're going to cease from your work so that you know that if you don't work on one day, the world will still go round. From the very entrance of creation, God is entrancing in the hearts of people. Listen, on the seventh day, if you don't do nothing, if that's even proper English, the world is still going to spin, as the science teacher taught me, on its axis. Why? Because the globe sits in the hands of God and not in the hands of man. As, as different as our understanding is based on our life. The globe sits in his hand. The universe sits in his hand. It has never, will never, and won't never, that's definitely not English, sit in yours. Okay. So you're going to cease from your work to remember that if you don't do anything, the world go, still goes round. And the other thing you're going to remember is that you're slaves no longer. That was the premise of the Sabbath. Beautiful. Next slide. Now, there are four biblical Sabbaths, and I'm really excited to share these with you because I've got to teach at Matthias all three of the four of these Sabbaths in the books that we've been studying. Tonight finishes it off because we've studied Genesis, as you'll see in a second. We've studied Luke, and we've gone through the whole book of Hebrews. The only one that's left is, is Exodus, so we get to finish it off tonight. So the first biblical Sabbath is creation. I was teaching my children this a couple nights ago. Reading this passage, and guess what the question is? Come on. Not for my sons. They don't get it, but my daughter says, why did God rest? You guys know the creation story, most of you. How does the story go, right? On six days, he created, and on seventh, God rested. So, my brilliant little daughter, why did God need to rest? It's a great question. You know, was he tired from making everything, you know? After flexing every single muscle in his sovereign bones, you know, did God all of a sudden, man, like this is, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we're just going to kind of, you know, as Genesis 1 uh, says, we're going to hover over the waters and just relax a little bit. And man, you know, the Bahamas look nice. Let's head on down there. Pangea, I don't know where that all fits. Anyway, um, <laughs> listen, God rests for the purpose of shadowing the Sabbath that would be to come. In other words, God rests to set in motion this rhythmic pattern to creation, six and one. God doesn't rest because he must. God rests so that you can see and appreciate the fact that God sets in that very cosmic portion of his creation a six and one rhythm. So that's the first biblical Sabbath. It's a shadow to this one that we're seeing and studying tonight, the Mosaic Covenant. So in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 11, God then institutes as a law and commandment this idea of the Sabbath. Again, the first Sabbath, a shadow to this one. Well, how is it a shadow? It was a shadow because now God commands this for all the people. If you're just joining us, here's the premise at Matthias. Here's what we believe. We believe the Ten Commandments are like the Ten Gifts. The Christmas presents for the Israelites. Because we believe God is guiding the Israelites, showing them the best way to live. Coming soon? Listen, it's better not to murder people. It's better not to use my name in vain. It's better to only have one God because it's exhausting to have multiple gods in your life. God is like giving them Christmas presents. And the Sabbath is one of them as well. So the second biblical Sabbath comes 
in that beautiful Mosaic Covenant. The third, my favorite, the Jesus Sabbath. Come on. Now listen, there are two main reasons why people want to kill Jesus. And you're like, well, I, it sure seems like there's a lot. There's two main ones. He, he can, considers and claims himself to be the Son of God. Doesn't sit well with the Pharisees. Okay? If you read in your Bible at all, uh, you, know, are you, the, you know, are you the Son of God? And, uh, okay, now we want to kill you. Okay? But the second greatest piece of the death threats against Jesus come over what issue? Anyone know? Come on. This should be obvious. The Sabbath. The Sabbath. Okay? He comes in, and Luke 6 being one of them, and Matthew, there's others, and there's all over, like the early parts of Jesus' ministry. He's healing on the Sabbath. He's teaching on this, like all kinds of things Jesus is doing on the Sabbath, and it's wrecking the rules of the Pharisees that we'll see here in a second. And so because of this, the scripture says that people want to kill him. Here's what Luke 5 says, or 6, 5 says, and he said to them, the Son of Man is now the Lord of the Sabbath. So creation, a shadow to the Mosaic, the Mosaic, a shadow to the Jesus Sabbath, where Jesus now says, rest comes through me. There is no rest outside of me. You want to look for rest somewhere else, you're not going to find it. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Listen, there is a reason why the Amy Grant song says that he's the Prince of Peace. You guys remember that Christmas song? Prince of Peace, mighty God. Two songs tonight, sorry, right? (laughs) There's a reason why the, the song says and the scripture quotes that he's the Prince of Peace. Because he's the Prince of Peace. He's the ruling, reigning Lord of Peace. Through him there's peace. Without him, no peace. So when Jesus says, rest comes through me on the Lord of the Sabbath, he's pointing to himself being the means of the final Sabbath, which is the eternal rest. Hebrews 4, chapter 8, uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, rather, verse 8 through 11. Let's look at verse 9 and then, uh, 9 and 10. It says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his In other words, despite what some of you guys think heaven is, like where all of a sudden, you know, you're going to hit the golf ball perfect, you know, you know, and it's just going to be all you and your buddies, like having a, having a wee old time. The promise that comes in Christ is there is eternal rest because we will be eternally in the presence of a great God and we will be eternally Worshiping him. That's heaven. Worship forever. All of these a shadow of the one after it. God sets in rhythm. The Mosaic covenant proves the people can't fulfill it. So Jesus comes and fulfills it in himself. With the message, if you believe in me, if you profess my name, what you're going to get is eternal rest. So if I'm doing my math correctly, that means if, if you're not in relationship with Jesus and if through Jesus comes eternal rest, then what's, what's the opposite? It's some form, premise of pain, work, agony. Think of like your hardest day ever at work and then multiply that by hell. Right? You're like, that doesn't compute. Um, All of these Sabbaths set up the biblical principles 
of what the Sabbath is. So let's keep going. Next question about the Sabbath. What has man's view of the Sabbath been? Well, we have to look at this from two different perspectives, okay? The two different perspectives are this, pre-exile and post-exile. What do I mean? All the Jews are together. Many of you guys have heard of Daniel and Den. You guys have heard of that? It was a little eye problema in Daniel's day, okay? The Israelites, uh, in general, have not been uh, in a land that's been very peaceful, okay? If you've looked in the lineage and the history of the land of the Israelites, there's been quite a bit of chaos. So the Israelites inhabit Canaan, and then all of a sudden the Babylonians and the Assyrians go to battle. And because of this battle, what ensues is all of a sudden the Babylonians start deporting the Israelites to Babylon, Daniel being one of them. Now, interestingly enough, the seventh day of the week in Babylon was a day of the devil. So listen to this. Pre-exile, the Jews are existing in this premise that it's a celebration. It's a beautiful thing. There's no legality to it. In fact, here's what Psalm 92 says. Look at this. Put up my, my little picture here, okay? This comes from Psalm 92. I actually like, took a picture of my computer screen just so you could see the subtitle, A Song for the Sabbath. This is pre-exile. Look at, look at what the psalmist says. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. To sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. To the music of the lute and the harp, which I often play, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work at the works of your hands. I sing for joy. Does anyone in this room accompany bondage in the Sabbath at this point? Would you read this and be like, man, this guy's really burdened, you know? This guy really sees the Sabbath as something that's pretty rigid and horrible. No. Pre-exile, freedom, Sabbath is beautiful, Sabbath is awesome. They get deported to Babylon, and then what happens when they come back is they add, listen to this, 39 times 39 lists of rules to the Sabbath because in Babylon, the seventh day was a day of the devil. They get back to the Israelites and primarily the Pharisees and they add 1,500 laws of do's and don'ts to the Sabbath. So all of a sudden, this party, this Christmas present, gets loaded on top of it about 17 bags of luggage. And this thing that was beautiful becomes all of a sudden something that is legalistic where everyone is worrying about all of the do's and the don'ts which is a phenomenal lesson for you and I. When you're living in the freedom of Christ, you find the Holy Spirit working through you, producing fruit. Though certainly it's a battle inside, you're not walking around all the time worrying about the do's and the don'ts. Why? Because you're living in the freedom of Christ, and the Holy Spirit is guiding you. And when you struggle, fall, and fail, and sin, instantly that conviction comes when you're intimately connected to Christ. So could you imagine this Christmas present in the Sabbath all of a sudden heaping on it 1,500 rules, some of which were like this. When you leave your house, you can only go 60 feet, and if you want to go farther, then you can tie a rope to your leg, connect it to your tent or your adobe, and then go for it. Is is adobe your house? And then you can go for it. So seriously... So people are like making rules to then get out of rules, which interestingly enough, the Pharisees wouldn't even follow in the first place. 
So as you can see, by the time Jesus came on the scene, the Sabbath was legality, no freedom, almost a hated day where people weren't living in freedom at all. So pre-exile, a party, a celebration, a grace. Post-exile, legalistic, okay? Next uh, slide. What day is the Sabbath? This always drums up some interesting debate. Uh, Well, clearly, the uh, origination of the Sabbath, uh, next slide, is the seventh day of the week. How can we say that? Because God creates on the seventh day of the week, right? Uh, The seventh day of the week in a Jewish culture, and certainly even still in ours, uh, happened from Friday at dusk to Saturday at dusk, okay? So the original Sabbath, the way the Jews would have celebrated, would be on what is, what is our Saturday. But something shifts. Next slide. The post-resurrection of Jesus' Sabbath, or Lord's Day, moves from the seventh day of the week to the first day. And here's why. In three different passages, Luke 24, 1, Mark 16, 2, John 20, verse 1, the scripture says that on the what? On the first day of the week when the women went to the tomb, no more Jesus in the tomb. Right. That's kind of what it says. Right? They go on the, on the first day of the week, and all of a sudden Christ is gone. He's resurrected. And so what happens then is a shift. Because Jesus said he's the Lord of the Sabbath, then we in our church community, Christendom, the Sabbath moves, the Lord's Day moves from the seventh day of the week to the first day. Why? Because what we start doing is celebrating and ceasing in Christ. That he's creator and we're slaves no longer. Not slaves any longer from Egypt, but no longer slaves from our sin. So all of a sudden, this entire thing shifts. Uh, to even show you something more beautiful, here's one of my favorite quotes in the New Testament. Te de me atone sabbaton. Say that with me three times. Come on. Te de me atone sabbaton. Don't have to say it again. Um, it was just funny to see the overachievers that tried. Um, <laughs> now, listen to this. There's only five times in the New Testament that te de me atone sabbaton shows up. Five times. The first three we've already talked about, the three gospels that talk about the first day of the week. The second two come from Acts chapter 20 and 1 Corinthians. That phrase attributes the church, the gathering of the saints, being on the first day of the week. And then you're like, Mark, why are we here on a Wednesday? (laughs) When we were planting Matthias, this issue was paramount to my heart. I existed unbeknownst to those even who were guiding me, believing that the more I did, the better God loved me. The more righteous things that I could pile up in the sight of God that he was keeping on his tally sheet all of the goods. What I was learning, the gospel I was learning, was a works-based righteousness. I saw quintessential to the thing that's anti-works-based righteousness, the premise of the Sabbath. Because the whole premise of the Sabbath is you cease 
believing that it's his works that you can rest in and not your own. And so when we planted Matthias, as many of you know, against much criticism, what we said is, we're still going to gather as the church, but we're going to gather in homes. We're still going to cease and we're going to celebrate, but it's going to look different. And many people initially were like, well, Mark, are you saying that those people who gather corporately gather in buildings on Sunday, that they're somehow anti-Sabbatarian? No, not at all. All we're doing is following what God has called us to do. And I can tell you, and I've just heard my wife quote this very thing, not paid off by me, but because it's her heart. I heard her say, like, Sunday is her favorite day of the week. She could not go back. Why? Because Sunday, like the kids know, daddy's not going nowhere. The church is coming over to our house. I grew up thinking the church was, you know, and I've done this before, like was a building. You guys remember the thing, you know, where the church, where the people go to the steeple to get married? I don't know. Um, right? Well, my kids are growing up in a completely different culture. They're, they're waking up and we're not hustling to get somewhere. And some of you are like, well, we hustle all the time to get to our lot family leader's house. Well, as we're going to find tonight, like, that's a heart issue. Even if you're going to a building on Sunday, there's still heart issues that are going on. And so when we planted Matthias, the premise was, how can we get in rhythm as a church to live together anti-works-based righteousness? How can we get in non-legalistic, Jesus, cease and celebrate Sabbath, to the place where every single week we have a reminder that we're slaves no longer, and that the world will go around without us. And as for me and my house, that seems like a good reminder. And you're like, but Mark, shouldn't we be doing that every day? Oh yeah, but I forget, anyone else? I mean, why do we gather once a week and learn about God's word? Because you know what, we need to be equipped, and, and we forget easily. Okay. So this day shifts so that we can celebrate on Sunday the resurrection. That's what we do here in homes. We celebrate Jesus, the resurrection. And I'm just gauging right now. How many of your Sundays right now, in the rhythm of your family's week, all of a sudden when Sunday you wake up and your first thought is, the Lord is risen. Or is your first thought is like pancake day, you know? <laughs> like where's the Aunt Jemima? Let's go, right? Syrup. No, okay. I don't know what the Aldi's brand is, so I know, you know, whatever the Aldi's brand. Anyway, Sorry. Is your first thought on Sunday morning like, all right, kids, the Lord is risen. And you're like, Mark, that's hokey. If that's cheesy, if as a family celebrating the resurrection has become something that's become cliche to us so that we don't say it in our families, then Lord, help us. If it's not Easter Sunday every day in your home, then I, my friends, I don't know what you're doing. And I'm, I'm preaching right now to the proverbial choir because, yes, there are Sundays burdened by the facets of my life where I wake up and my first thought isn't, oh, yes, God, the grave is empty. Death has no sting. Could we just agree if that was the, re the reminder every day, let alone Sunday? Like, wouldn't it just change perspective on life a tick? Right. So this day shifts, Okay. Now, the big question for us is this next question. How did Jesus live on the Sabbath? What did he do? What was his premise? Well, there's a text that really helps us understand that. I've already quoted part of it from Luke 6, but check this out from Matthew 12. 
He went on from there and entered the synagogue. Synagogue, a place of teaching, understanding on the Jewish Sabbath often. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? <laughs> Don't you just love when, like, the people set up Jesus just to whip them, you know? Just awesome. Here's what Jesus says. So, the, uh, or, so they might accuse him, and then Jesus responds, verse 11. Which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Beautiful. Verse 12. How much more value is a man than a sheep? Some of you should be grateful. Um, So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But look at this, verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy them. Why? He was bringing freedom, and they wanted to be bound up. They wanted it. They were accusing a man for freeing people. You're like, Mark, how how does this compute? Uh, Let's get really practical. How many of you right now feel completely bound up by your financial woes? How many of you feel bound up by the nine to five? How many of you feel bound up by student loans? How many of you feel bound up by the secret sin that no one knows about? We've got all kinds of things that are binding us up. And the very premise of what Jesus is doing is freeing you from all of those things. And you're like, Mark, well, how is that even possible? Because in Christ, listen, in Christ there is rest for your souls. Nowhere else and in nothing else. So when God institutes the Sabbath at the very beginning of all of this, he's setting up Jesus one day coming and saying, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You guys know what that word is, rest, when he says it? Sabbaton. I will give you Sabbath. I will give you a ceasing And resting completely in the work of me. So our final question, which will guide much conversation, what are the biblical principles for the Sabbath today? And this is where many of you are like, all right, cool. So here comes the list of do's and don'ts, right? Don't watch TV. Don't listen to Z1077 on the Sabbath. Don't, um, I don't know. Someone told me that it was a station. I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) I always love like when I get in someone else's car. And they like quick switch it to Joy FM. You know, like I'm. You know what I'm saying? Oh, crap. You know. And they like turn it up real loud, you know. Hey, it's, you know, it's okay. Um. (laughs) What are the biblical principles for the Sabbath? The first is this it's Sunday. There's all kinds of people with varying views on this. Uh, we wrestled with this many, many years ago because of our model and rhythm. Uh, the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, is Sunday. Okay, people say, I'm going to Sabbath here, I'm going to Sabbath there. It's fine for you to rest in Christ because that's what we're doing all the time. But biblically, the Sabbath is Sunday. Te de mi atone sabbaton. Okay, there's, the church was gathered, including in Acts chapter uh, 20 where, where Paul preaches all night and the dude falls out the window. Remember that story? It happens on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is on Sunday. You're like, Mark, but I, I work on Sunday. Listen, let me make very, very clear. Issues of the Sabbath today are issues of the heart. 
Okay, some of you guys who, who lead lot families, 24 different homes, you're like, okay, so Mark, since it's Sunday, does that mean I can't vacuum on Sundays? You know, like, should I not? Listen, hold on a second. If on Sunday you can vacuum and it be praise and worship to the Lord, then vacuum your heart out. I mean, vacuum all day long if you want, you know, which some of you would appreciate. I kind of like to vacuum because I like to see the streaks in the carpet. Anyone else? Progress. It's an issue of the heart, okay? So listen, if some of you guys who have jobs on Sunday, you're like, well, Mark, man, I, what, do you, what, what are you saying? I'm saying on Sunday, it's different. On Sunday, you wake up, and your, and your first thought as you put on those work clothes is the Lord is resurrected. And he's graced me with this job. And so God, empower me to live in this job today for your glory. And you're like, Mark, shouldn't you be doing that on Saturday? But yes, we forget. So Sunday is the rhythm of remembrance. First biblical principle, it's Sunday. The second thing is this. Second thing is this, fire the laser. The purpose, the purpose is to cease and celebrate Jesus. Cease and celebrate. The whole intention of Sunday, pull back and worship. Now, you're like, okay, so, so how do we know what to do? In Christ, we prayerfully, thankfully have the Holy Spirit, amen? The Holy Spirit, Scripture says in, in John, will guide us into all truth. Husbands, wives, it's time to get together, start getting on your knees and praying, Lord, how would you direct us to lead our family on the Sabbath? How can it be a different day, a day set apart? A day that Jesus has fulfilled in himself, a day that has no legality, and a day that our kids get to see and grow up remembering that it's Easter Sunday again. And they're not in fluorescence and a clip-on tie, right? That's beautiful. Cease and celebrate. Pull back from the normal rhythms. We're horrible resters. But the rest that's found in Christ is one of the greatest rhythms of grace we can ever open in the gift that come from God. Number three, it is, a, is a, it is a delight that is to be looked to in anticipation and prepared for. Lot family leaders, maybe for you, you can't vacuum enjoy on a Sunday morning. So guess what? Saturday night, it's a great time to prepare. That's what we often do in our house. Get all the chairs set up, vacuum the things, dust the things. Again, what did God do for the people? He rained down manna, when? The day before, so that they could look to it in anticipation, prepare for it, that they could enjoy, that they could set up the rhythms of their lives, not to be packed in with all kinds of things, so that on Monday morning they could wake up plus 6,000 and not minus 3 million like so many of you do every single week. I'm telling you right now, I absolutely love Sunday, not because I take an awesome nap, which I do with my kids. We pack them all in one bed, okay? La family leaves, guess what? It's me and all three riffraff in one queen-size bed with a bad mattress, okay? And, we, and it's beautiful. Why? Because like me and I just, we're just holding each other, and we're resting, and Dad don't have to be nowhere, and we're just enjoying time together. But Sabbath isn't about a nap. It's about this beautiful thing that happens in our heart, resting in the Lord for his glory. The fourth biblical principle is this. Uh, Jesus did works of necessity and acts of mercy on the Sabbath, so we can too. Because some of you will be like, lock the doors, right? Mark said we need to celebrate the Sabbath. So, all right, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to build a fence 
on the morning of the Sabbath, working six hours, you know, and, and then we're going to, you know, stay in and we're not going to, no, what did Jesus do? He healed. He preached. He went to the synagogue and taught on the Sabbath. Acts of mercy, works of necessity, Jesus did. So if, if you're gathering a list of do's and don'ts, just look at Jesus. He preached the gospel. He lived the gospel. He was the gospel on the Sabbath. Okay? Some of the greatest times we've had are serving others on the Sabbath. Hey, uh, kids, here's what we're going to do today. We're just going to enjoy some time serving others and remembering that we're slaves no longer to sin. Beautiful. Uh, the last uh, principle, Sabbath rest is a grace, come on, listen, both now and eternally. It is a grace both now and eternally. In other words, as you and your family and your household get in the rhythms of grace now, it is a gift here and now. And certainly, eternal Sabbath rest, a gift forever. Amen? So you're like, okay, all this sounds nice, Mark, but I don't. We're going to end with this. Where do we struggle? Why do we struggle resting in Christ? First thing is this. A belief that our works earn the favor and love of God. All right, God, okay, so, all right, so if I don't do something today, you know, if I don't do 17 things to, you know, if I don't feed 85 homeless people today, then God, sh- surely you're going to smite me. Listen, I know we don't talk like that because, you know, we've learned enough to not say those things, but I'm talking about the core of your heart. If you still believe in your heart that God has the tally sheet, my friends, you haven't accepted the greatest gift that the gospel is. Grace. Grace upon grace. You don't earn it. He already did. Rest in that. We're not resting in that because we really still believe in our heart that God is up there. Score one for the Sigma house, you know. All right, Jesus. Sigma house did good today, you know. If that Mark does something crazy and dies, he'll be good to go, you know. Listen, listen. But somehow, somehow, it's a day-by-day thing. Mm Mm-mm. You can't break a covenant you didn't start. God doesn't hold you in the palm of his hands and then blow you away. If you're called a child of his, then listen, you're a child of his. You guys, you guys with me? If you're a son and a daughter of the king, he's not putting you out on the street ever. Okay? The second thing, and largely powerful, every single one of us in here, we don't rest because of unconfessed, unrepentant sin. You can't sleep at night. Resting on the Sabbath is far from your ideal lifestyle because you're waking up with this huge weight on your mind. The thing you haven't told nobody. The sin that you've been wrestling with and if someone found out. Check out this testimony this exact issue. My name is Stephen Leffler, and this is my story of how I'm learning to rest. Several years ago, when I was in active duty with the Marine Corps, I got a serious infection in my right elbow. It hurt. I knew it was infected. I did my best to treat it myself. And finally, when it was so bad that I could barely even bend my right arm, 
I finally sought medical assistance. I remember the Navy nurse lecturing me on how bad Marines are when it comes to injuries and seeking out help and medical assistance. I remember saying that Marines are the worst. If you guys would simply admit that you need help and come in and get treated, things would be so much better off. But you're so darn stubborn. We were all stubborn enough to try to control our pains and our struggles. To bottle up pain and shame and sickness or anger. To try to carry our own burdens. I don't think it's a Marine Corps thing. I think it's in us all. I think we work the hardest to control the things that we fear the most. Almost seven years ago, I married the love of my life. And then four years ago, I betrayed her. Through no fault or shortcoming of Mary Kim's, I began an inappropriate relationship with an old friend that quickly led to an affair. Mary Kim even confronted me on the nature of the relationship, but instead of being honest, I became defensive. It was a slippery slope and I fell fast. It was scary to realize that I was capable of buying in to such depth of sin. The affair came and went quickly and quietly. It became my secret sin and infection within my heart. To complicate the situation even further, I was serving in full-time ministry at the time. I felt trapped in every aspect of my life. If I confessed everything, I'd surely lose my job, possibly my wife, and definitely my reputation. Everything in me wanted to hide my sin, to forget about it, and just to move on. I prayed daily for forgiveness, but I always felt the need to work harder, to, to try, try to deserve it. I tried to earn righteousness from God. I tried to earn trust from Mary Kim, while at the same time being crippled by the infection that I was hiding and holding on to. The infection brought fear, shame, and slavery, and I carried it for years. of my integrity and my rest it wouldn't just be paid by me it would be paid by Mary Kim as well and I hated myself for that I hated the thought of breaking her heart I cursed myself for the pain that I knew it would cause her it literally made me sick every time I thought of confessing to her during those years God was continuing to work on my heart it was like he was trying to do open-heart surgery on me, but I was trying to control the scalpel. There wasn't a day that went by that I didn't hear and feel God whispering for me to just let it go and stop trying to control everything. Letting go was terrifying. It meant that I couldn't heal myself. It meant trusting that God was in control, not just on a theological or philosophical intellectual way of thinking, but in a very real and tangible and dangerous situation. If I let God have control, then I knew that I would be completely exposed. And that could cost me everything. It meant believing that God could and would heal Mary Kim's heart as well as mine. 
and then trusting that God would provide for us while I left full-time ministry to seek out a community of grace and accountability where I could be open and honest without fear. Trusting God meant being obedient to the one clear whisper in my heart to let go, to trust Him, and to find rest. So I let go. I exposed my heart and confessed my sin and shame to Mary Kim. And it hurt. And it still does. But God is faithful and He is trustworthy. For even in the moment of my exposure, while I braced for rejection, I was met with love. I've seen Him heal our hearts and our marriage in ways that I could never have thought possible. He's led us to Matthias where we have experienced an environment of grace and of love. He's restoring our marriage, our hearts, and our ministry. And through faith and surrender, He has given me rest. But resting is hard because it makes me completely dependent upon God instead of myself. But as God has worked in my life to relinquish my control, I've finally begun to understand the truth of Matthew 11, 28-30 that just says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The enemy will do anything to help you believe that rest is not possible. And this is just one example that rest in Christ is. So for some of you, one of the greatest hindrances is unconfessed, unrepentant sin, you believing in your heart that by, by being found out, by confessing, that it's going to create turmoil. But my friends, you don't know our God then. Our God heals and restores, and yes, is it painful? Sure. The, rep the repercussions of sin? Tragic. But rest is possible. Thirdly, in our struggles with this issue, a belief that if we stop, that if we slow down, we will lose ground. If, this, if I stop short here, if, if, I, if I don't do this one thing, then everything's going to go awry. How many of you are living every single day like that? The task list is so lengthy, you can't even begin to read it. You have so many color codes to it, you don't even know what color represents what anymore. That you, you somehow believe that the army of God is, is going to lose ground because of your inability to, to press through again. And that's what leads us to this final piece of why we struggle in resting. At our core, we believe that God needs us. You're like, Mark, well, how does that create a struggle? I've told you time and time again, and I'll remind you and myself again, he does not need us to be God. 
He wants us. He desires us. He pursues us. But He will be God with or without us. In other words, your greatest, deepest, darkest sin isn't greater than the grace and the rest that can come in Christ. The farthest you've ever felt away from Him is not greater than how deep His reach is, which proves He does not need us to be God. In our weakest, darkest moment, He reaches down, saves, restores, and heals Proving that he's the one who's God and that you and me are not. And that should free us, right? That should free us. So why is it putting us in bondage? Why are our efforts still so striving? Not to enter the rest of God like Hebrews 4 says, but to earn God's approval. I believe here tonight, right now in this moment, Some of you are incredibly exhausted, done, done in your marriage, done in your walk with Christ, you would say, tired of all of this, ready to give up parenting, you can't imagine another day where the disobedient riffraff go against you, you can't imagine the day of going home again and talking about uh, simple things and not feeling loved and respected. You can't imagine a day, again, of going and trying to live out the gospel in this hostile environment. So many of you tonight, flat, exhausted, and a whole category of those people exhausted because you've never said, I want to find rest in you, Christ. So first, for those of you that have professed Jesus as your Savior, Tonight is a reminder of the rhythm of remembrance that God has graced you with. That every Sunday, and then every day for that matter, is Easter Sunday again. Dad's leading your homes. Fathers, you wake up on Sundays, and you lead by exposing your heart And let your kids see that you need Jesus. That your kids don't need you more than they need Jesus. Are you with me, dads? And I'm telling you, it's tough. The days you come home from work and there's fanfare, your kids are running up, grabbing your legs. Oh, thank you, Daddy, for again slaying the dragon for our family. Your kids need to see that they don't need you more than they need Jesus. They need to see that you and them need Christ more than anything. So how are you teaching them that, dads? Coming home in all of your exaltation, showing your trophies again of how you've provided with every dollar that they could ever need? Or coming home again and telling your kids, by God's grace, we're a family together still. And at dinner time, we have this food again. Because it's God's grace, kids. Uh, Yeah, we have this food because I've worked real hard all day, kids, and uh, provided yet again a Tony's pizza for all of you, you know. (laughs) Mothers, those who work, those who stay at home, how are your daughters seeing in you, arresting in the grace that comes from Christ? How are your daughters watching 
a woman who's modeling this desperate pursuit of Christ. And everyone else after, single, unmarried, dating, no matter where you stand, a reminder tonight that Sunday is a set-apart day to rest so that you can remember on Monday that you need to rest. Now, for those of you that have been looking for it all your life, that have been searching and seeking, wondering how and, and why, and tonight you're like, I'm just absolutely tired. I'm exhausted. And Mark, if I don't find help soon, I don't know what or what I'm going to do. I just want to provide an opportunity for you to hear this. Uh, The rest that comes in Christ, both now and eternally, can be yours right now. And you're like, but Mark, that seems too easy. Uh, Well, it may seem like that for you and I, but we have a Savior who lived a perfect life died on a bloody cross, walked out of an empty tomb so that death wouldn't have a sting on your life. So that by professing that he's Savior, that nothing else is, that you can find rest in him, that you could spend that eternity resting in his grace. I'm just saying tonight, there's an opportunity for you to profess Christ and even for some of you, be baptized tonight. I'm going to have a whole bunch of leaders here in a second that are back in that corner. And if you're here tonight, you're just like, I'm exhausted, I'm desperate, I'm tired, and I'm seeing tonight that Jesus is my only answer, I'm saying, go talk to them. And if you're here and you're like, I just want want to profess this, that I'm resting in Christ, we would absolutely tonight love to baptize you. Let's stand together, come on. Grace upon grace. A nap pales in comparison. A comfort never reaches that. Tonight, as we respond in worship, may we be a community of people that say, without the rest that comes in you, we're nothing. Would we be a community of people tonight that pray that God purges us of our workspace mentality? Would would we be a community of people that pray that God would purge us of any piece of us that's still hanging on to earning God's approval? And for those of you tonight ready to confess Christ or be baptized, please go and seek out one of those leaders. Lord, I know tonight that by your power, rest can fall on this room. Sin can be confessed. Grace can be received. Your mercy could be shown. And so I pray right now in power over my friends, my brothers and sisters in this room, that you would teach us as a community what the gospel truly is at the core. That we don't have to spend one more day trying to earn a high five from you, but, but that God, our, our true rest has already been found in your son. So Lord Jesus, please, for my friends that are here that have never professed you, have never sought you, who are tonight just exhausted, I pray that you would stir their hearts to response. And for the rest of us, help us worship in the rest that comes from you. Respond tonight, church.